Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. You know you've got somebody unique when, when, when before you record the podcast, you hit on about 10 different things that you have in common. Even before you hit record, you're going to love this conversation with J.D. McCabe. He's an author, a sales trainer, a, a multifaceted guy. And I want to talk to him about several things, namely his book, The Third Gift. We'll talk about that, talk about his life and his story, but uh, you're going to love this podcast episode today as J.D. McCabe joined me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. J.D., how you doing today, man? Brian, good morning. I am doing wonderfully. Thank you, sir, for uh, the opportunity to connect with you, at least virtually. And yeah, I enjoyed our conversation before we recorded. So yeah, you you look much more tanned and healthy and fit than I do, man. I you know that that South Carolina weather is good to you, my friend. It might might be a combination of hypertension as well in there too. Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, no, no problem. I under yeah. Speaking of which, let me ask you a question. You and I were talking a little bit before we got started about how your life has changed and things since since COVID has hit. So, tell me what's what you what types of things you have seen personally you made a move through COVID so what was that like for you and some of the things you saw and kind of prompted you to say okay it's time to do something different because you're not the only one that is transplanted we've seen in the news where a a lot of people have decided during a pandemic it's the time it's the right time for them to make transplanted moves for their families and personally and professionally yeah I had made the I had made the decision slightly before uh, slightly before the lockdown um, moved from North Carolina down to the Charleston area uh, just because I, I needed a change of scenery after everything that, that I went through so from from an emotional perspective I just needed I just needed a, a new beginning I need to get away from a lot of, a lot of the memories and I was transitioned in my life to the point where I'm, I'm an empty nester now and I was afforded the opportunity to be able to kind of pick up and go. Uh, but of course, once you get here, uh, moving, moving into a, a place at the height of COVID slows everything down from uh, closing on a mortgage to inspections to uh, thank God the Lowe's and the Home Depot and other places stayed wide open. But yeah. uh, you know, other than that, it was, it was an adjustment, but one of the blessings was I was able to have, you know, my daughter come back home with me from, from school. And so we were able to spend, you know, four or five months together as she would, you know, do her coursework and work from up here. So it was a blessing to be able to have a handful of people in my life to, to, as I made, as I made the move to the South Carolina area. So there were, there were a lot of blessings with, with the COVID piece, quite frankly. Yeah. I went through the same thing with my 20 year old son, who's a sophomore at Marshall and, and your daughter is at the university of Alabama. So we are, we, our kids last from last March and, and they're still doing, I, I can't talk, I can't speak to that, but, at least up here, they're starting to do more of a blended education model. My son's on campus a couple of days a week, but it was it was a challenge for us with the internet demands, and, and you know West Virginia very well. The internet demands, the 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 difference in in person learning, just all of a sudden taking a three week break and then and then basically kicking everybody to virtual learning. How did your daughter handle 
those things. She, you know, she comes back to, to, to be with you, but she still has her requirements and she's five, 600 miles away from campus. Whereas we were yep. 20 minutes from campus. How were her adjustments to virtual learning in that environment? Well, I, I, the biggest adjustment, obviously, right, is the discipline piece. So on top of the schoolwork, she was able to, uh, you know, she was fortunate enough to secure a job, too. So she was working almost almost part-time while she was managing things online. But it was a matter of discipline and, and time management. Um, and so she had, at Alabama, she had previously had a couple of her courses were strictly online, even pre-COVID. So I think she had some of the discipline already built in. But certainly is is a challenge from a time management perspective, uh, for sure. Well, and and again, we decided, and 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 that's where you know, as dads, my my heart and my empathy goes to you because I understand that you know when when your kid is going, hey, this is a whole new world because our kids were always used to in person learning. Even you know, with my son attending a Christian school. It was smaller, but every day they were going to class, every day going to yeah. class, every day going to school. And now all of a sudden we pull that back and, and things like that. South Carolina, where you're at, has done a really good job of managing and handling the situation around COVID and things like that. What were a couple of things that you saw when you moved to the state where you went, this is this is good, good, bad, or indifferent? Because, again, I like to get that perspective, J.D., because – the perspective I have is of the Huntington, West Virginia area, where I am, yep. this region. And I know how we handled things here. What were some things that either impressed you or disappointed you about the way South Carolina handled the pandemic? Well, I think in my experience, they, they did not entirely, you know, shut down. So, the, you know, fortunately with the weather and as you get into the spring and to the summer, it's conducive to, you know, outdoor seating and so forth, so on. But um we didn't notice a tremendous difference other than the spacing as far as, you know, shutting down businesses was concerned. So there was still an opportunity to socially interact in an appropriate fashion uh, with others, get out to eat, um, you know, enjoy uh, the waterfront. One of the interesting things was Brian early on is a, uh, which I found really interesting with the spacing on the beaches, they, they shut down some of the beaches uh, and then they would eventually open them back up to the point where you couldn't sit on the beach, but you could go out and walk on the beach. Yeah. And uh, one of the one of the real interesting things was having having the cops on on the bridges, uh, kind of checking where you're going and where you're from, uh, as as they locked down the beaches. But that that lockdown didn't didn't last too long. Uh, but it, to me, I didn't see as much of a change, uh, and they were quick to implement the mask um, requirements. Yeah. indoors which i felt good about but uh yeah they didn't they didn't really skip a beat too much really i don't you, think you know jd it's interesting i my family and i traveled i told my wife back in late july i said we're gonna go somewhere i want to get away from this area for a week or so and we ended up going to carolina beach down below wilmington yep. area yep. you know well and and what i noticed about that coastal town was God bless those people for trying to keep it as normal as possible, as welcoming as possible, because their whole business model, as you know, is designed to, to have people come and come frequently, the more the merrier. Because, again, that's for for from March to September, as long as the weather holds out, they've got that six-month window to really make their year as far as revenues and things like that. Yeah. 
Charleston is is very similar. It's a little more is it's far more spread out, but very similar as far as as depending on tourism and things like that. What did you notice as you as you kept going around town and, and things like that? And by the way, Charleston is one of my favorite places. You live in the Charleston area. One of my favorite places. My wife will not drive the Ravenel Bridge, by the way. No, okay. She doesn't like the Ravenel, but you know that that kind of freaked her out a little bit the first time we took her over the Ravenel. But uh, she won't she won't drive it, but will she walk it? No, she is so afraid <laughs> of heights. She is so afraid of heights that she it it just it it messes her up. She the first time we drove the Ravenel, she drove it, and she the the whole time she was panicking. She was because the Ravenel. For those that are watching on YouTube. The Ravenel goes up and and just kind of crests and comes back. It's one of the coolest bridges you'll ever drive in the United States, but it's not for the for the those that are squeamish of heights. If you don't like heights, don't take the Ravenel. It's it's a little it's a little steep. But how in a coastal area where you live, how did you see folks trying to stay normal? around that because Charleston is very laid back. It's, it yeah. almost has a West Virginia feel to it. It really oh, yeah. does. But, but, but in a coastal region. Yeah. Well, I, you know, given the weather, the weather is nice as it is most of the time. I mean, it, it was conducive to just folks being outdoors, you know, going for walks and speaking of the Ravenel, that's where I kind of discovered uh, walking the Ravenel bridge, you know, provides for a nice uh, five mile walk round trip you know, two and a half over, two and a half back. And so there was a lot of outdoor activity, a lot of folks out and about, staying active, um, opportunity to, you know, get out, walk, at least walk the beach prior to them opening the beaches back up. And uh, just good for the, the, the sanity, just to get outdoors a little bit. Um, um, but, the, but the nice thing about the COVID piece too was um, the ability to kind of reestablish the, the family unit, right? You're, you're, you're together a lot more, you're conversing a lot more, you're having to, uh, so I think it's strengthened a lot of, a lot of bonds, at least within, at least within my family and my extended family. So uh, togetherness, like we've never seen, quite frankly. Well, and again, I love that area because quite honestly, what I, what I learned about people in that area is the laid back, just relaxed atmosphere. You would walk around town People are just very friendly. They're very nice. They're they're just, hey, we're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. We we we, as opposed to, let's say a couple hours north, in Myrtle right. Beach, where where and again, it, Myrtle Beach is a great area, but it's far more fast paced. It's more, it's more you know family driven. You know. Um, go, 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 do, 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 things like that. And there's tons of things to see and do in your area, but it's a far more relaxed pace. It's just, yeah. I mean, was that something that drew you to want to transplant to that area? Was the, the lifestyle and the pacing of that area? Yeah, certain, certainly that was the case. And then the other piece was the attraction of um, just, just the waterfront, you know, being able to get, get to get to the beach or beaches within 20 to 25 minutes and just to get out and clear the head and go for a walk if that's what you wanted to do. So uh, as, close to the, as close to the beach as I could possibly get. So, yeah. Well, you, you, you picked a right – you picked a great spot because um, – that and, and, again, if you go a little south on 17 – about an hour and a half, you get to Savannah, Georgia, which is also yep. tremendously good area and things like that. 
and and you know the the thing about it is too, JD is, you know everybody in this. I love what you said there a minute ago about just getting out and clearing your head. If you yeah. want to take a walk, just go and take a walk. If you want to, and and people going to the beach and things like that, and they're they're, they're you, I love the picture you painted about the cops going. Well, you can walk the beach, but you can't sit on the beach. And and some of the the inconsistencies there and things like that, because that area has always been, and I used to cover that area as a regional sales manager, that area has always been kind of a live and let live area. It's, it's basically when you come here, you, you, you're free to do what you want. You're free to go where you want to go and, and, and enjoy one of my favorite seafood restaurants is Hyman seafood right there in, uh, in downtown Charleston, South Carolina, shameless plug. So if anybody's watching from Hyman seafood, I, you know, shameless plug there, but, but again, I love that area because of, of the freedom there. How is it now? We talked about how it was any, any changes now, how, how are things now in, in, in coastal South Carolina? Yeah, you still have the mask ordinance in place. You still have the appropriate social distancing in, in place. Um, it, it is sad to see some of the restaurants downtown that, that have closed their doors, didn't make it, you know, like everywhere else in the country, just some that couldn't sustain. Um, uh, it, it was quite quite sad to see. But, uh, you know, we still have the some restrictions in place. Um, interestingly enough, even in, in the grocery stores, Brian, is uh, the, the arrows are gone now. So in some of the grocery stores, they'd have the one-way traffic. You could go up, but you couldn't come down the aisle. So things are starting to flow a little more freely uh, just within your, your, your day-to-day, the lows, the, the grocery stores, whatever. And I'll tell um, you this. Yeah, J.D., I'll tell you this um, as well, too. Um, you mentioned the restaurant scene there. Uh, no. There, there is a a famous culinary arts school in that area called Johnson and Wales. So, so that area has yep. long been a restaurant maven. That is one that has been one of the gems of the southeast. Is the restaurant scene in your area? And I tell you, it's it's when when I hear that, and you say, man, there were some restaurants that just didn't make it. That saddens me because again, yep. that is such a destination. If you're a foodie. That is yeah. an incredible destination. So you guys have the, the the water, you've got the food, you've got the the atmosphere. Downtown, if you've never been to downtown Charleston, South Carolina, you've got to make a trip and go there. There is beautiful southern architecture. They have tours that go around. My family and I did a tour several years ago of around town and just seeing the beauty of of just the 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 um, the pines you know the 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 trees coming over and that nice shading in the downtown i can i can picture it in my mind yeah so I, I miss it we don't have that the trees that are shading us in west virginia are probably about ready to fall about any time now <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's i mean it's a whole different world as you can imagine hey i want to step aside here take a break we come back i want to talk to jd about his book the third gift And so I want to make sure we get to do that and we'll dive into his story back in a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines 
in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. JD, you are an author now, my man. Yes. You and I yeah. have a lot in common there. I wrote my first book, People Buy From People. You've yep. got a book now that you, you have written. Take me through kind of your thought process of writing the book, you know, how you arrived at, at what you were going to do. My book was, was a quote from my dad that my dad told me 26 years ago when I got into sales. He said, never forget people buy from people. Take me through your book and how you got the idea and, and kind of how it all came together. Yeah. So the idea, um, the, the idea really was, was born out of uh, just the whole journey of the, the demise of my, of my, of my marriage. So I would, I was in, I was on paper. We were married 23 years. The first 17, I would say we're reasonably happy. Uh, we were fairly stable. And then, then, you know, all hell broke loose uh, at, at about the 17th, 17 year mark uh, where um, my now ex-wife just, if I were to briefly describe, just entirely went off the rails. Um, so the, the book documents my journey um, through the first, you know, first 17 years of our, our marriage. And then uh, into a lot, the, the bulk of it, Brian, is, is centered around kind of the whole journey that we had as things really fell apart. And so it's, it's was an unimaginable divorce. Um, it was unlike a lot that of the other folks have experienced. So it was a journey through a nine day psychiatric lockup. It was a journey through discovering um, all of the deception and betrayal that my now ex-wife had hid from me. I mean, long story short, everything in our marriage that she began to accuse me of doing, she was actually doing from drug addiction to infidelity to, you know, um, pilfering money from our marital account. Uh, so I was the one that ultimately ended up hollowed out and broken as, as a man and ended up nine days in a psychiatric facility, uh, which I would later discover that she had set me up for that as well. So it's a journey through the mental health care system. It's a journey through the broken medical care system. It's a journey through the legal system. So all of that is laid out in, in the book. Um, the encouragement to write the book was from a lot of family and friends that had said, look, there are so many twists and turns to your story that you need to, first yeah. of all, you need to begin to document some of this stuff. And then secondly, it's, it's never been a man versus woman thing, but there's very few books out there about men in an abusive relationship. Wow. And as I've increased my reach on social media, whether it's TikTok or whether it's uh, Instagram or Facebook, the, the stories are coming out of the woodwork. And I'm shocked at um, just the amount of abuse that, that, that folks have endured out there. So the, the title of the book, The Third Gift, the first two gifts are my kids. And the third gift was really a revelation that ultimately set me free from an emotional perspective, Brian. So it was the third gift, a revelation that she made to me 
that helped me to discover all of the things that she had hidden from me. So I discovered the fact that she was addicted to prescription medications. She was using our kids for two years to fill them in their names. Um, and I also discovered all sorts of infidelity on her part based on yeah. the medical yeah. claims and the pharmacy claims that I reviewed. And as we discussed prior to recording, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 30 years, so I, I know how to interpret a medical yeah. claim and pharmacy claim. So I well, just didn't know. I just didn't know what I had access to. I never looked at any of that stuff in the history of our marriage until she dropped the, the bomb on me. And I'm like, okay. I JD, well, let me ask you this. Was it yeah. a surprise because you, you said, Hey, for 17 of the 23 years, and I've been married to my wife almost 25. So I I'm again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting the, the parallels together here. It, it was a complete first, surprise. Yeah. First 17 years. The first thing that hits you because it always starts with something. The yeah. first thing that hits you, was it was it a, a surprise or was it a blowback? Because here's here's why I asked that. There are times when things start, you know, it, it's almost like finding a an Easter egg, so to speak. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I just kind of tripped over this. And then there's something that that is is a a gut punch. The the first thing that happens is is and I equate it to being in the in the ring with with a professional boxer you dance your way through that you you think okay well that you know i'm in a fight now or or somebody attacks you let's let's go there somebody attacks yep. you you don't expect to get attacked first of all and you don't right. expect to get attacked like that was it the first thing that you discovered was it just a a just kind of a throwaway thing or was it a gut punch no i think it, it, there was that's a great question. There was, there was, it was a blowback for sure. So, you know, 17 years into the marriage and she's waltzing into my office, as you know, if you're not traveling, you work from home and yep. she suddenly begins the accusations that her therapist at the time thought I was cheating on her. <laughs> so she would do that once, uh, you know, every three, four months, she would suddenly begin to question my, my faithfulness to her. Let, let me, let me jump in here. I've, I've got to pull a little more conversation out of there. I'm sure. intrigued by one thing. Yep. Did did your wife come to you and say, "Hey, I'm not feeling right. Something's going on. I'd like to go to counseling. I'd like to go to therapy." Or did she just kind of go, "Hey, uh, I've been seeing a therapist," and you're going, "For what?" You know, well, it, was it one of those situations? No, I knew she had, was seeing a therapist because she she and this is covered in the book too. But there's yeah, and I don't want to give a, I don't want to give away no. all the, the the book, but 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 no, again, I, I don't mind. Yeah. There's there's plenty of meat in the sandwich there in the in the book. There's there's plenty for. Folks I love to, that analogy, man. Living in West yeah. Virginia, that is that is a beautiful. Thank you for for rolling it that way. I appreciate it, JD. Yeah, like a hair hanging on a biscuit, right? So. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Hanging on like a hair in a biscuit, man. Again, you're yeah. just dropping it today. I thank you. For yeah. That. But um, no, it was just a, just a, a very blatant. I, I need to see my therapist. You know, I need to see your emails. I need to have access to your phone. And I'm like, yeah, out of the blue, she started asking for those types of things. But the real, the real heavy gut punch was when she, she, and then later her mother, because uh, the subtitle of the book is My Dance with the Devil and Her Mother, because her mother got uh, very intimately involved in our marriage, and she also got on the abuse train and, and accused me of being a pathological liar. But the major blow, the major blow to the, to the face was on a beach trip 
Topsail Island in North Carolina. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but very much so. Yeah. Out on a family vacation, my family, um, my now ex-wife's brother and his family and, and their mother. And she threatened to kill me, threatened to kill me one afternoon when I came up from the beach, said, you know, looked at me with really just a death stare and said, look, if you put your hands on my daughter, I will kill you. You know, perhaps you're addicted to porn. Perhaps you're addicted to drugs. There's something going on with you. Uh, and that was out of the blue from a woman that I had unconditionally loved for 23 years and never had a crossword with. That was the major punch in the face, Brian. But that was after several months of enduring these subtle accusations from, from, from my wife about infidelity, which would later, she would pivot and start talking about drug addiction because it was in the spring of 2014 that I started working out and I instantly started losing weight. You know, within the course of six weeks, I lost 35 pounds and then it was 40 and then it was 45. And then I started experiencing some, some medical symptoms um, and have some enzymes that were way off. And ultimately it would take me a couple of years and I would, I was manipulated out of the house and we had separated at that point, but I also discovered that she was poisoning me with arsenic. So we talk about that in the book as well. So it was quite, quite the journey of discovery, but in the book also too, is a lot about faith. There's a lot about how God walked with me on the journey, put a lot of good people in my life to walk with me and my kids as we endured really a five-year nightmare. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the third gift is, is a revelation that opened my eyes and really set me free and, and really enabled me to reestablish who, who I was as a man. Because when you get attacked about your character and your integrity and your truthfulness yeah. over and over, eventually you start to believe it. You start to take on the persona that other people have laid out for you. Well, J.D., here's the thing, too. And, and again, I can empathize with a situation, not with my wife, but with a different situation where yeah. I was accused of something that I didn't do that yeah. was a, in a character assassination. You do, you start to think, okay, well, you know, who else is talking? If, yeah. if a couple people are talking, are they poisoning the waters for everybody? I've yeah. got to ask you this. I want to go back for just a minute. Sure. That trip in that beach trip where she said, if you touch our daughter, I'll kill you. At any point, were you thinking, I've got to get out of here. I've got to go get, I've got to go protect myself legally. Um, what was your thought process around that? Because now someone is making a threat against your life. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's not in a protective situation. You've done nothing. They're now making a, a threat against your life. How did you react and, and what was your thought process in that moment where you were like, she's going to kill me? We're really? I mean, you you know, because, you know, people use that as a throw. I'm going to kill that person. You know, I can't believe. But you were I can I can sense in the moment you were seriously afraid for your life at that point. Well, I, actually, I wasn't afraid for my life. Um, I would have been. I would if my wife had looked at me and said, you know, with looking at me as serious as I'll kill you if you touch our. I, I would be a little concerned for my. Well, life. here's the here's, here's, here's the interesting thing too, Brian. That I I, I I've not reconciled, never reconciled. I mean, I didn't fear for my life, but I, I was just completely taken aback and shocked by 
what is her daughter telling her that leads her to believe that I'm going to harm her daughter? I do remember asking her a clarifying question and it took her a few minutes to respond to me that, that apparently during an argument that I had with my now ex-wife that I grabbed the rack of the dishwasher and I shook it and broke it. Well, I do recall on an occasion that I did grab the rack. I, I shook it. I didn't break it, but this was after. Hey, you know what, JD, I, yeah. I can't count the number of times I've gotten in an argument with my wife and thrown something, a, a yeah. shirt, not at her, right? but, but again, and, and I come from an athletic background, you know, I can remember times when I played baseball in high school growing up and things like that. I've slammed a bat down in frustration or I've, I've thrown my glove against the dugout wall in frustration. You know, it, it's a part of life. I mean, I, you could watch a, a professional sporting event or yeah. a college sporting event and see the calmest guy on the field, lose it. You yeah. Know? There was and so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not alone there. You, you know, and, and, Again, I've been in in disagreements with my wife, and and you get frustrated, and you just you 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 just throw something down. It's it's part. Of, you you you're never physical with that person. You just get so frustrated. You're just like, you know, you you you're gonna. Th it's either that or get. And I'm I'm never get physical with my wife. I can sense you never would get physical with your wife, but it happens. You know, again, if the worst thing you do is shake a dishwasher rack. I mean, you know, come on, you know, you slide it back in place and go on, you know? And that's what she pulled on. But the other interesting thing was her brother was there. Her only brother was there on the trip. And I would have thought the message would have come from him. I would have thought he would have pulled me aside and said, look, this is what I'm hearing from my sister that, she, you know, she's got some issues. She's afraid. Of that's a great point. Confront it never, you man to man. It never, yeah. happened. it never happened. And, you know, as we continue to move forward uh, through, through our journey, uh, through the legal system and all that, I, I never, never heard from him once, never received a phone call. So ultimately, the clarity that I've received throughout the, the entire mess is that I believe that they knew that there were serious issues with their sister slash their daughter. And there were several red flags that I missed um, when we started dating years ago now. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and thankful for all the clarity that came along with uh, the tremendous you know, hellish nightmare that, that, that we went through. But yeah, it's one of the things I scratch my head about is why didn't, why didn't I ever hear from her brother? I mean, I've got three sisters. And if one of my sisters ever came to me and said, eh, whether it's true or not, that I, I've got some concerns about my husband. I'm a, we'd certainly have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take my, it. My, yeah. My five brothers and I would have had a conversation. <laughs> absolutely. Let's step yeah. aside, take a quick break. Be back in a moment here on the intentional encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. 
Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Back from People. You can get one from me, and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email, and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. JD, I want to I want to pull a little more out of that. I am fascinated by this. You you got to this way quicker than I I I and I am appreciative for that. You you led us beautifully into to this conversation. I want to talk about how your kids were impacted hmm. Be, because. I, I can tell you this, and transparently, you know, I know the disagreements that my wife and I had when my son was younger affected him when he was a little older. And we've told him, look, you know, we're we're together for the long haul. Yep. We're together for the long haul. And he's admitted to us, hey, you know, the disagreements that you guys had affected me. He's 20 now. He just kind of, when we have, you know, the rare times that we do disagree now, he just kind of lets it roll off his back. Like, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. but when wow. he was younger, he came to us and he he told us a couple of years ago, he said, that, that really affected me. And it tore my wife and I, we were just like, man, we can't believe that we did this to our kid and affected him that way. When you're, how did your kids, how did your kids deal with what was going on? That's their mother. You're their father. How did, how, were, what were you hearing from your kids during this time? Well, and I, I love the fact that you, first of all, I love the question. Second of all, I love the fact that you have that, that open line of communication with your son. And he feels free to be able to chat with you and your wife about things that affect him and bother him, which is wonderful. You don't hear that these days. So kudos to both of you. Um, yeah, so it, it really all started when, when my daughter Katie was 15. My son, uh, Billy, was 19. So he was, you know, a freshman in college. He was a freshman in high school. And she started, fortunately, my son was out of the house of away at college. And so he was insulated from it, but my daughter bore the brunt of it where, you know, my now ex-wife used her quite frankly as a weapon and started to fill her head with all sorts of things about dad, that dad's got a drinking problem. Dad's got a drug problem. Dad has anger issues. I mean, she put the fear of God into her. And ultimately once I moved out of the house, um, I had lost, and it's funny that we're talking about this today. Uh, I may get a little emotional because today, uh, March 2nd is the five year anniversary that my daughter came back into my life. So I'd lost, I, I essentially lost two years of my daughter's life. I missed her 16th birthday. I missed her 17th birthday. Uh, so it affected them greatly in the sense that I don't think that, because again, we had, a, we had a very, I would say a very stable marriage, but, um, they probably didn't know who to believe. You know, dad spent nine days in psychiatric lockup and probably was told all sorts of things by mom um, that probably further enhanced that I had some issues that I was dealing with. Um, so I'm certain they got to the point where they didn't know who to believe. And I think the clarity of the third gift, the clarity that, that I received from it, I know that they received the same clarity as well to finally go, okay, Dad's not the monster she painted him to be. Okay, 
The drug addiction piece, that's on mom. Okay. The infidelity piece, that's on mom. Um, but she sadly used our, tried to use our kids as, as weapons, uh, you know, to, to put pit one of us against the other. Did, did your kids, let me ask you this. Did yeah. your kids, you, you mentioned you came from a, a large family. Yeah. Your, your wife's got siblings. So yeah. your kids have cousins. They have aunts yep. and uncles and they have cousins. Were they breaking off communication with your side of the family? Were they, were they just, you know, were they just, they totally isolated themselves, things like that? Because yeah. I got to, yeah, because here's why I asked that question, JD, is that, you know, my, my son has cousins. I have cousins. I come from a large family too. I have cousins. And, and again, no matter what was going on with my parents, I still had cousins that I communicated with and, and hung out with and things like that. I wasn't, it wasn't their fault that if my parents had problems that what it, were your kids, were, were they, were they, were they moving away from the family, so to speak? Were they, were they talking to certain people in the family? What were you able to find out about how they were keeping connected within your family unit? Yeah. So my, my, my daughter, um, had completely moved away from, from my family and her cousins on, on, she walled herself off or was walled off by mom. I'm not going to put it on her. She was 15 or 16 at the time. Yeah. Uh, she's got a tremendous relationship with that, with my side of the family. Now, my son, um, kind of maintained communication with, with, with both sides, but unfortunately they don't have any communication with mom's side of the family. It's again, just her brother and a couple of, he's got only has a couple of kids. Uh, but there is really no communication and they don't have a relationship with their mother. Um, uh, my daughter will text with mom every now and then, but my son, uh, has had, had blocked her, you know, five, six months ago because she began to attack his, his manhood too. He's 26 now, but she's never really owned up to anything that she's done in the marriage because she's yeah. just mentally ill and that delusional. And, you know, he's like, dad, I can't, I can't deal with this well, anymore. JD, here's an important, here's an important point I want to bring out. And, and yeah. there's a, the reason I ask that is I have two younger sisters. One, one of my sisters is two and a half years younger than I. And then my parents adopted my, my baby sister when I was senior in high school. And, and I've always said this, I was a lot closer to my dad when he was alive than I was my mom. Mm. Now, when my, when my dad died, I got closer to my mom and it, I loved my mom. I wasn't, I didn't mean anything disrespectfully. Right. But I tried it, but I've always tried to tell my wife there's a different dynamic with fathers and sons than there are mothers and sons. Because if you come from a, a family with the, like I did and the, the family we've tried to raise, where the, the male, and I, I, I mean no disrespect to, 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 the, to the ladies listening. I want to say this very clearly and very carefully. There is a different dynamic between fathers and sons because fathers are, are teachers, they're instructors, they're, they're coaches in a lot of cases. I coached my son two of the four years, two of the three years he played high school baseball. I, the four years he played high school basketball, I was involved with the team, either doing public address or keeping the book. So I was always there. I wasn't a helicopter parent. But my son would ask me after every game, what do you think? And it was that time of, of we could really break down his performance and things like that. 
and I understood the nuances of the game. You know, his mom was just there cheering and rooting him on. I was like, well, and on this play, yeah, in the third quarter, I remember this sequence. You probably should have went to the top of the key instead of moving over to the wing, and we could really break it down. So my, my son and I have that, and my dad and I have that same thing. When I was in Little League, my dad was calling my pitches. I was a pitcher, and my dad was calling pitches. He was in the dugout. And so there's a different dynamic. I want to ask you about your son and your the father-son dynamic between the two of you. Because you mentioned your son at the time that everything started was away. And now it, it really feels like that bond just got stronger and stronger. Yeah. Did you feel like during that time that you you could confide in your son and and really lean on your son and really strengthen that bond that you two had? Yeah, the bond the bond with both of my kids is is extremely strong, and the, the bond with my extended family, my brothers and sisters, uh, is is very strong. And they've been. And I don't mean to diminish that, JD. I, for, forgive me for interrupting. I don't want to diminish that the, the father daughter bond. That's a strong yep. bond as well, yep. too. I, I just wanted to put into some context that 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 fathers and son. There's there's a little different dynamic there. Yeah. As well. well, yeah, and it, yeah, I would say, yeah, it's absolutely strong. Um, and the strengthening of it and the open communication really began um, when I had to make a trip to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, unbeknownst to my my wife and my daughter at the time, I had to get out of town because I wanted to go see him and I wanted to have a face to face conversation with him about what he may be hearing from mom. And I wanted to assure I wasn't bashing mom, but I wanted to assure him that I was not doing drugs. I was not cheating on his mother, that I loved his mother. And I had to look him in the face and, and, and look him in the eye and just simply say, I need you to believe in me, son, because I, I believe that I'm, I've already lost your sister and I don't want to lose you as well. So, uh, and so, yeah, he, 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 we've leaned on each other. We continue to uh, lean on each other and continue to support each other. And our, our communication is open and honest and he's a wonderful compassionate young man when you know when he he's constantly checking in to see how i'm doing and he recognizes what i've been through and i recognize what they've been through so we've we've become a, a wonderful support system for each other man i've got two more questions i've got to ask you around that the the yeah. first the first one is how strong are the bonds now between you and your kids what did you find let me ask you this way jd what did you learn about your kids that you hadn't realized previously about the, their character, things like that? W were there moments where you were just because as a parent, when we learn things about our kids yeah. in good ways, it's just like, oh, man, I cannot believe how good these kids are. And in my case, you know, my son, I'll look at him. I'm like, in spite of me, he's, he's a great kid. You know, uh, I didn't screw him up too bad. But what did you learn about your kids that you just went, man, I, I cannot believe these kids are, are, are so good this way? I mean, I'm proud of them for many reasons, but I think the thing that I learned the most, and, and they, they've become extremely close. They were always close, but they've become even closer, um, is their faith. Um, how strong they are with their faith and how they lean on um, the concept of gratitude. And it's something that, it, that I, as we began to go through our, our, our journey, something I, I, you know, strengthened in them or tried to coach them on is no matter how bad you think it is for us, you have so many blessings in your life and you need to, to look around and recognize other people have it. So, so they have it far worse, but their faith, 
Brian, I think their faith, their compassion that they showed for me, the compassion that they now show for their mother, even though they don't um, have a relationship with them, they understand and they have, you know, uh, some compassion for what she's had to endure and go through. And then the choices that they made, because again, they both had to deal with this throughout their entire college and high school careers. And they could have taken license to make some really bad choices and they did not. So their faith, their compassion, um, and just the, the wonderful morals and choices that they've made. How did you get yourself through the nine days that you were in psychiatric lockdown because again you you just mentioned you know the medical industry like the back of your hand you spent yeah. a lot of time in it now you're seeing it from a different perspective how did you get through it and what was the takeaway that you learned from it because and i'll normally as i wind down a, a podcast conversation i'll ask what the biggest obstacle was you've mentioned that a couple times that that was a that was something you were totally unprepared for. So let's go there and, and let me ask you that. What was, yeah. what was it like going through that for you? And, and what did you take away from that nine days being in psychiatric lockdown? Well, one of the, one of the, one of the, well, there's several takeaways that I had. First of all, um, I, I, I went nine days without talking to my kids. So I didn't want to have a conversation with them while I was in psychiatric lockup. They certainly knew, knew where I was. Um, so I got through it um, through prayer, um, just turning it over to the, to the man above to say, look, I'm not sure how I ended up here. I'm not sure why this is happening, but I trust that, that, that you will guide me. Um, and when I was in there, Brian, I thought, okay, this is, about, this is about as low as you can get in your life. And once I get out of here, we're going to rebuild the foundation of our marriage. Well, I couldn't have been any further from being accurate that I've ever been. So I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been, couldn't have been more wrong. I, the rock bottom was nowhere in sight. Things would just get even worse for the next, next seven months. But being in there, I had plenty of time to, to reflect. And I also was in there with folks with legit bipolar and with legit mental health issues and young kids that had tried to take their lives that I realized, okay, I, I, I don't have it so bad. And I don't believe that I have any type of mental, mental health issues. So I had been misdiagnosed with bipolar. So I was diagnosed with bipolar two in less than 20 minutes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I talk about it in the book, how I ended up involuntarily committed through, through a family practitioner and just the whole journey. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, when I got out of there, my head was in such a fog, but, I was thankful for the experience because it regrounded me in the fact that, okay, you, all right, you don't, you, others have far worse problems than you have. And it, you know, I still think about some of the young kids in there today because uh, the system's broken. I don't know. You've never, I don't know if you've had any experience with anybody in a mental health system, but nobody got any help. Yeah. There was no, there was no counseling. Um, no. I saw, I saw my social worker for 45 seconds, 45 seconds. Wow. So time with a psychiatrist was five or 10 minutes and it was a matter of ramping up your medications, even though I didn't need some of the medications. Um, and so it was, it was eye opening, um, eye opening for sure. But, but again, I, there was far more worse coming than once I got out of there, man, I've got one more question. I've got to, I've got to ask one more question here. When you were writing the book, mm -hmm. I know the times that I was talking about my dad and thinking about things and, and 
and my dad's influence on me when I was writing people by from people, I got emotional. I had to step away from the keyboard and kind of collect myself because I was really in, in those memories. My dad was alive. You know, my dad was there and, you know, had your dad passed at that point when you were, yeah, yeah. He had passed, he passed in 2012. He, He passed suddenly in December of 2012. And so I was writing this from, you know, 18, 19 and, and even last year before was published but jd when you tell a first person story like you're telling i got to imagine the emotions at times that flooded you yeah what what was it like powering through your emotions to get the story told and were there times that you just had to step away from it because it got so emotional yeah yeah. So, I mean, again, it was a four or five year trek. Um, and so when I sat down to begin to write it, Brian, in 2017, it took, took me, it took me a year to write. And ironically, one of the other inspirations to, to write it was my father. My father was never a published writer, but boy, he had, he had the gift of putting pen to paper. Could not, he was not a, he wasn't a, a talker, but he was a writer and he could, he could, he could, he could melt your heart with the words he put on paper. Sad. Unfortunately, during my journey, my father's dementia um, took stronger hold of him and he no longer could communicate. He couldn't talk. He couldn't write. And I couldn't have a conversation with my father about what I was going through. And so he, he had passed in January 2017. Uh, he passed before the book came out. I don't think he even had any recollection that, that I was writing a book. I don't think he was clear on everything that I went through, but he was, he was my inspiration. So there was an awful lot of emotion um, when I was still going through hell and, and watching my father also pass away at the same time. But the biggest challenge of the, of the book was that the human mind is incredible, right? Unless you waste it, yeah. you have the ability to take a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma. You have the ability to, to pack it away. I had to open up all those boxes and relive all of it. And some of it caused laughter. Some of it caused tears because you go, oh man, I forgot she did that to me. I forgot that happened. I forgot she said that. Um, um, so yeah, you, you had to relive it all. And, and, uh, so there were, there were moments of there were every wide range of emotion, any emotion you, you could think of, you know, you experience as you write it. But the, the other piece for doing it though is, and I love the title of your, your podcast is really to encourage others to recognize that we are stronger than we believe as human beings, that you can get through anything. And that, uh, again, the good Lord will put people in your life to walk with you. So I put the book out to really try to turn betrayal, deception, uh, and hypocrisy into encouragement and hope for others that are dealing with whatever adverse situation they're dealing with. Man, that's powerful. Would you would you share in the in the last couple of minutes we've got? We could have gone two hours. I want folks to go get the book. So I, I mean, I want that. That's why I wanted to be careful not to tell everything because I, I want people to go get the book. Uh, and 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 see for themselves the whole story well thank uh, you for yeah. yeah what what is your biggest piece of intentional encouragement to folks that may be walking through a similar situation a rough patch in a marriage things like that share folks your biggest piece of intentional encouragement jd uh, i think the biggest piece is don't do it alone don't go it alone i mean i i i ended up when I ended up in, in a psychiatric facility, it's because I stayed on an island. You know, I have a large family, five brothers, three sisters. I've got a large professional network. 
I shared my story with nobody. I told nobody what was going on and what I was dealing with. So I would say if you're going through a difficult situation, please find a friend, find a confidant, somebody that you can trust that you can that you can lean on and don't expect them to solve your problems because they're not going to be able to you'll have to simply embrace it and, and plow through but there are plenty of good people there that uh, are willing to listen and to at least give you a shoulder to lean on uh, so don't go it alone uh, but also recognize that you you'll get through it you'll get through it and and you will find your purpose on the other side Man, that so is so good. The, the purpose that I have with my book, Brian, is is not only to share my story, but also to be able to give back. So I'm committed to giving back to organizations um, that are supporting former military with PTSD and substance abuse issues. So I'm looking to do some good with it. Man, that is so good. J.D. McCabe, tell folks where they can get the third gift. Tell them how they can connect with you. I, 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 I've got a strong feeling that people are going to hear this and they're, they're going to want to connect with you. Uh, sure. Tell folks how they can do that. They can connect with me on uh, at thirdgift.com. It's not the third gift because the, the third gift was taken, but thirdgift.com. They can purchase the book there. They can also purchase the book on Amazon or any of your major retailers online. Um, my Instagram is at the third gift and the Facebook is the same at the third gift. And, uh, quite funnily, I'm also on TikTok, so they can find me on TikTok at Third Gift at the Third Gift. Um, so a lot of a lot of the podcasts, and I thank you for this opportunity. But a lot of the podcast snippets, I've we've, my social media folks have put out on on TikTok, if they want to learn more about the story. God love you, man. I I cannot do TikTok. I, my, I stay away from Instagram because my, my son would just have a conniption fit. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I want to say this as well, too. A, a former guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and a good friend of mine, Damon Burton, connected us. So shout out to Damon. Um, you've been on Damon's podcast, Learning From Others, and, and uh, Damon's an incredible guy. And um, J.D., your story has just been powerful. I, I Again, I, I just don't know what else to say, but thank well, you for sharing it on the Intentional Courage podcast. You're very, you're very welcome. And I also wanted to thank uh, Nate Bailey because Nate Bailey uh, connected me to Damon Burton and Damon connected me to you. So I've, I've met a lot of wonderful folks and a lot of inspirational folks throughout this, and and uh, I would I would add you to that list. So, Man, what an honor it's been to talk to you, J.D. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Courage podcast. Thank you, sir. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.